You're now tuning in to a Sports Talk podcast produced by the Right Way Sports Network and CEO Malik Wright. Be sure to follow the team's social media on Instagram at TWSNet, on Twitter at TWSNet, and on Facebook at the Right Way Sports Network. We want to change the way you view sports and get your information. And there's only one way to do that. The Right Way. Welcome to Inside the Flock, Episode 9, brought to you by the Right Way Sports Network. First off, if you guys would like to listen to any of our podcasts, we are also available on Anchor, which will direct you to all our podcasts, from Apple to Spotify. If you guys ever miss one of the shows or just want to go back and listen, and click, uh, go ahead and click the link in our bio. And if you guys would like to donate to help support the podcast, there's an icon on Anchor to do so. You know, anything really helps us. We really appreciate it. And let's get into today's show. So today you're hearing a different voice during the intro, obviously, and that's because one of our hosts, uh, Jacob, has to sit out this week. Uh, he's currently dealing with a pretty bad illness. Uh, so hopefully he'll be back next week and, uh, you know, get healthy, Jacob, if you're listening. Uh, so we're your hosts, Adam and Justin, and today we'll be discussing some of the Ravens' best colleges for the NFL draft, uh, going over some of, going over the potential of the Ravens potentially trading for Jamal Adams and answering some of the questions you guys sent us this week. So let's get into this, Justin. Uh, who do you think is one of the Ravens' best colleges for the NFL draft? Um, I think with uh, a lot of uh, hardcore Ravens fans, we all know Alabama. I think that's probably the first thing that we think of, and uh, rightfully so. I mean, we've got uh, plenty of uh, players ever since 1997. Um, we've we've got uh, 11 picks since then. Um, it started with a uh, defensive back, Ralph Staten, in uh, the seventh round. Didn't really do much. Uh, another tight end in uh, 2002 in the fifth round. Um, he didn't really do much other than uh, be a depth player from 2002 to 2005. Um, you start to get a, uh, a solid uh, defensive end in Jarrett Johnson in 2003 in the fourth round. Um, he played with us um, for, for a little bit, uh, about seven, eight years. Uh, and he got twenty. He got actually got twenty sacks, and then so he's a he's a pretty solid depth player in uh, in that. But um, the first person of significance is uh, fullback Laron McLean. Um, he was one of the first standout fullbacks I think for us, and also could be considered a running back. Um, so that was also a home run pick in the fourth round in uh, two thousand seven. Uh, you got uh, in the second round Terrence Cody, defensive tackle, seven sacks. Nothing really special. Courtney Upshaw in 2012. A lot of people remember him. Uh, eight and a half sacks during his time with us and with uh, the Falcons, I believe. Uh, and then we jumped to C.J. Mosley. Um, he's uh, definitely he's definitely our best pick, I would say, from uh, Alabama uh, linebacker. He Ooh, signed a huge some, contract over, uh, uh, over a uh, in particular DB. Yeah, yeah, I, I would dare say that he was he was probably best pick. I think he had he had mm, one okay. of the most highest in, he had a highest impact for us, and uh, almost won defensive rookie of the year over Aaron Donald. But um, Aaron Donald was obviously generational talent. Yeah, he signed a big deal with the Jets. Um, definitely, uh, uh, definitely a key success. Uh, of Ozzy Newsom drafting DJ Mosley is able to earn him a, a big contract, and. More recently, we have in the third round Tim Williams. I believe he's on the Packers now. He wasn't really anything with us. And then we go to Marlon Humphrey, 
Um, he's definitely he's still on the team. Um, he's definitely one of the top cornerbacks in football. Um, you could make a case that he's the best pick from Alabama, and I, I would say, in a, give it him a few years, I think he will. Um, he still with us. Uh, Bradley Bozeman, we drafted as a center in the sixth round, and he's now the starting left guard for us. That's definitely a home run pick out of the park in the sixth round. And then uh, Anthony Everett in the fourth round. So, obviously, I just listed a, a whole ton of players, um, and that's definitely the biggest reason why Ravens fans think first to Alabama because Ozzie Newsom has an Alabama bias, and he definitely uh, gambled a lot on his uh, former alma mater. Yeah, you know, that, that was definitely a lot of players that you listed. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I am going to go back and, and go back into uh, Jarrett Johnson a little bit. You know, I think that was kind of the beginning of our, you know, Alabama success. You know, Jarrett Johnson actually did play, you know, over eight, 180 games for us. Um, so, you know, he was, a, he was a really key player in our history. Um, and, you know, while while C.J. Mosley has been or was amazing for us, you know, I am going to – I think I'm going to go and say that Marlon Humphrey's our best pick from Bama. You know, he's he's really emerged at, in these last two years and, to, you know, really become a top three to five – I'll say top – top three DB in this league, and I don't really see that, you know, changing for quite a while. So I think even though Marlon's only been with us for a couple of years, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say that, that Marlon's our, our best pick from Alabama. And, you know, just like you said, the typical Ravens kind of fan perspective is that we've drafted so well and so much from Alabama. And, you know, like you said, it's because of that Aussie use some bias towards Alabama. But, you know, I think there are a few other schools that you have to look at and, you know, one of those schools are, you know, is a school that we've drafted a lot from in these last couple of years, and that is OU. Um, you know, I think, you know, some of the no- notable names are, uh, you know, Mark Clayton, uh, Dan Cody, uh, Chris Chester, um, Mark Andrews, Orlando Brown Jr., Ben Powers, and then uh, Marquise Brown, of course, or Hollywood Brown. And, you know, the last four that I've named, I mean, they've all made just huge impacts on this team. And we've drafted a total of 11 guys from OU. So, you know, we're still on that Alabama level with with uh, Oklahoma here. But, you know, I, I think honestly, at least currently, I think, you know, Oklahoma is definitely making a bigger impact, um, you know, with Hollywood really looking to become a, a top wide receiver this year as he could break out you know, Mark Andrews being a top five tight end and then Orlando Brown Jr., you know, being one of the, the better tackles in the league as well. And Ben Powers could even win the, the starting guard job this year. So, you know, we, we could have four starters on offense this year from that we've drafted out of Oklahoma. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I, I like you saying that, uh, you know, Oklahoma is definitely having more of an impact than Alabama, I would say. Um, especially in the recent years, it took us. It took yeah, like you said, it took it took us a bit to uh, start hitting, and then we started with Mark Clayton. That that's what kind of started with uh, with our Oklahoma success. And uh, I'm I'm hoping that uh, Eric DaCosta keeps that tradition going. And uh, see, this is de- Alabama and Oklahoma are definitely the top two schools that we've uh, drafted so far, and definitely we see a lot of uh, impact from these. Uh, young players, um, especially recently. Um, next up, um, I want to put, point out um, that, you know, we did not draft a lot of players from Miami, but when we have, we've hit. Um, obviously, most notably, um, 
in the uh, first round of the 26th overall pick in 1996. The Ravens selected Hall of Famer Ray Lewis. Uh, definitely one of the greatest middle linebackers. He's definitely the greatest middle linebacker of all time. And um, that he that's not the end of our success at Miami because then um, a couple of years later in 1998, we uh, took uh, cornerback Dwayne Starks. And a lot of the Ravens fans that are, um, you know, they're a little, they're a fan of the older uh, Ravens. Um, they definitely were a big fan of Dwayne Starks. He was definitely an underrated piece of um, our defense from 1998 to 2006. Um, it got a little bit hairy with uh, in 2000 when we drafted guard Richard Mercier. Uh, he didn't see any games played, um, but that's what happened in the fifth round. You take gambles. Um, we uh, then we took another uh, Hall of Famer in 2002 with Ed Reed from the U and he's obviously one of the greatest safeties of all time. Um, so you've got two hall of famers from the same school. And, uh, but after, after that, we haven't really drafted that much from the U. Um, in 2008, we got a backup linebacker in Tavares Gooden. And in 2012, we got a backup wide receiver in Tommy Schreier in the sixth round. But, um, I think you look past those two most recent picks, and you look at the three great picks that we got, and two of them were uh, Hall of Famers out of it. Yeah, no, I mean, Miami has definitely been, like you said, one of our, our best drafting schools as well. I mean, if, if you get two Hall of Famers, you know, two first ballot, you know, arguably one of the greatest to play their position, you know, players from that school, you're, I mean, you're never going to pass that opportunity up. Um, yeah. And, you know, here I'm going to list, you know, another school that we've – you know, haven't drafted a ton from, but, you know, we've had two picks and we've absolutely hit on them and that's going to be Arizona state. You know, we, we first, uh, you know, kind of picked into Arizona state in the 2001 draft, taking Todd heap in the first round. And, you know, Todd heap is, you know, the best tight end we've had in history and, or excuse me, in Ravens history. Um, and, you know, hopefully, well, not hopefully, but potentially I could see Mark Andrews, you know, becoming, you know, kind of taking that title, but that's a different topic. And then <laughs> for, you know, our second pick from Arizona State in the 2003 draft, we took, you know, none other than Terrell Suggs in the first round. And, you know, pick 10 to be exact. And, you know, Terrell Suggs is obviously probably one of – I don't know how bold to say with this, but he, he's definitely one of the most notable Ravens that you can – that you think of, you know, when you, you think of the Ravens, one of the first players that comes to mind is Terrell Suggs and, and Sizzle and, you know, the, the Bane mask. And, you know, so obviously the, the two picks that we've had from Arizona state were just complete hits. You know, I mean, Terrell Suggs has over 240 games played and Todd Heap has over 140 and so many records from the both of them. So Arizona state's, you know, while, it, while it's a very minimal, you know, kind of pick count, they've definitely made their mark on, on the Ravens' history. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like you said, like we didn't draft much, but when we did, we hit. Um, I would like to see us uh, try and get back into drafting Arizona State players. Um, we actually were somewhat close because I'm sure we were considering Nikhil Harry in um, 2019, but uh, we obviously f- figured that um, Marquise Brown was the better fit. But I would definitely like us to see him go back because we've obviously had really great history, even just even if it's just two picks um, from Arizona State. I think that if we go back and um, we, we try and get back 
uh, into drafting from Arizona State because we've obviously had good good connections from there. If we were if we were able to hit on Todd Heap and Terrell Suggs, who are one of the greatest at their position, um, or one of the best, um, you know, I think it's it's definitely worth a shot to try and uh, keep that going. And it might be a little late, but I think it's worth it. Um, we're going next up to. Um, I'm going to go ahead and go with Oregon. And um, Oregon doesn't really strike me when I first looked at it as a college that we had drafted uh, decently well in. And we have. Um, I like, like Arizona State, I mean, we haven't had many picks. So this is only four picks from Oregon. Um, two, the first two, the one was a wide receiver, Patrick Johnson, in 1998. He was drafted in the second round. Didn't really see much action. Um, he, I mean, he played in 70 games. Only started in uh, 20. Only started in 23. Um, not the greatest that you want to see from a second round pick, but still serviceable. Um, in 2006, in the fourth round, we got another wide receiver from there who had um, a little bit less of an impact. Um, solid depth player, uh, Demetrius Williams, um, and then. Uh, in that same in that same draft, though, if we if we go up a, a few rounds, we go back up to the first round uh, with pick number twelve. We took defensive tackle Haludinata, and he he's definitely one of the greatest defensive tackles in Ravens history because um, he was so flexible. He could play at defensive end, edge, uh, nose tackle. Um, played in 180 games in his career and got 32.5 sacks. Um, definitely a culture creator here at uh, Baltimore. And then in 2010, uh, we drafted uh, tight end Ed Dixon. And uh, not many people remember Ed Dixon as much as they remember Dennis Pitta because they both came from the same draft. But um, I think you can't really underestimate how what Ed Dixon did for us as well. Um, although he never turned out as good as uh, – Dennis Pitta was, um, I think definitely with uh, Ed Dixon, you, you got to kind of look at the impact and then how he continued in his career. And he, he was still able to get on the on the Seahawks and the, I believe the Panthers. But um, that's also, he, we also definitely did, even though if we hit better on um, Dennis Pitta in the later rounds, uh, we definitely did hit on Ed Dixon. So uh, the only two that really pop out to me from Oregon are Nada and Dixon. But um, those are definitely two uh, really good players that um, that definitely made an impact on uh, our team and Dixon other teams. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, Holding is one of the best Ravens of all time, and uh, you know, yeah. I can't wait to see him in the Ring of Honor. Um, you know, the, this next college I'm going to, it's it's a little. Um, I mean, I don't know how to say this. It's a little up in the air on whether we've had success with this college. And, you know, I'm going to say that uh, this next college is the University of Texas. So, you know, we started off in the 2000 draft, and we drafted Cedric Woodard, who was a defensive tackle, and he played 61 games for us. So, you know, not not amazing, but, you know, for being a, you know, a sixth-round pick, it wasn't too bad. And then, you know, this next pick, we kind of get into the gray area right here, and that is in the 2010 draft in the, in the second round where we took Sergio Kendall. And, you know, he played three games for us. <laughs> so, you know, that's definitely where we start to, like, kind of get our, you know, I, I guess downfall with Texas. And then, 
you know, the following year in the 2011 draft, um, we take Chikey Brown. And, you know, Chikey also wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't amazing, you know, played in 59 games for us, so it wasn't, wasn't amazing, but for being a fifth-round pick, definitely not too bad. And then, you know, going on after that, it's kind of where we hit, like, the modern day, you know, guys that are still on the Ravens, and, you know, those two guys are, you know, a guy in this last recent draft, and being Devin DuVernay, who has a ton of promise and could definitely end up being a great receiver for us. And then, you know, in 2018, we took Deshaun Elliott in the sixth round, and He's another guy that, you know, hasn't played a whole lot because of health issues, but he can definitely end up being something very, very good for us if he can stay healthy this year and, you know, quite frankly, find a spot on the field this year, you know, with who he's behind, another former or another former Longhorn who we did not draft, but in Earl Thomas, um, you know, so we can't really add him to this one since we didn't draft him. And this is where it kind of becomes the gray area because, you know, when you think of – the Texas connection to the Ravens, you think of Justin Tucker, you know, well, unfortunately we didn't draft him. So, you know, he was an undrafted free agent. So, you know, our, I guess, history with the Texas, you know, Longhorn football program, it's not amazing when it comes to draft, but definitely when it comes to signees, it's, it's gotten very, very, you know, rich, you know, like I just said with Justin Tucker and Earl Thomas now. So, you know, it's a little bit of kind of a, a, a skeptical one since, you know, our draft history, like I said, that wasn't amazing, but our free agent signing and our undrafted free agent signings have been very good with the school. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, you definitely uh, hit it on the head with that one. Uh, Texas, where obviously the signings are better than the draft picks, but um, I think we can definitely turn that draft pick, those draft picks around. Um, if you listen to last week's uh, episode, you know that I'm a big fan of Deshaun Elliott. And I think uh, once he has a full healthy season under his belt, I think he can uh, he can definitely uh, make some make some, make some noise. Um, and we have the Devin Duvernay. He's looks like he might be if Snead leaves next year. He looks like he's the heir to Snead in this lot. Um, so I think yeah, I think with uh, those two, we can kind of start to um, kind of do a 180 on drafting with Texas. I think those two both have. Uh, Really, really great promise. Um, next up is um, what I have. In my notes is uh, Florida State, and um, Florida State. The first person that immediately comes to mind, and uh, my mind is Peter Bulware. When we drafted him in '97, uh, the fourth overall pick, um, played with us for a while, '97 uh, to 2005. Uh, got 70 sacks. Um, he was a Terrell Suggs before Terrell Suggs got drafted for us. He was our primary pass rusher, um, was big big key in getting us to uh, 2000 Super Bowl. Um, personally, one of my favorite all-time Ravens. I think he's very underrated in uh, what he's done for us, and that's obviously a good start to uh, drafting from Florida State. Next up, and we we haven't, and then we take a break from Florida State. We go from 1997 to 2014, and. Um, in 2014, in the third round, we took Terrence Brooks. Uh, he's a defensive back. Um, he didn't really spend much time with us, but uh, he's still he's still on the team. I believe he's on the Jets um, or the Patriots, uh, one of the two. But um, he's definitely he's still playing. So we've obviously we obviously drafted him. Uh, I would call that 
somewhat a success. I mean, he's not a success for us, but it's a success for his career. Um, he's had four interceptions, so, I mean, I'm not ready to write him off yet. And But in that same draft, in the second round, we took Timmy Jernigan, who also did not play very long for us, but when he did, uh, he was one of my favorite Ravens. Uh, him and Brandon Williams were uh, a really good duo, and um, I wish we had signed, resigned him, but um, we traded him away to Philadelphia, where uh, he's had uh, he still had plenty of success. And um, so I think uh, Terrence Brooks, not really, you don't really think about him. Timmy Jernigan was really good for us, and then Peter Boulware is the number one. So I think I would love to see us keep trying to go for Florida State players, especially with. Uh, you know that emergence of uh, Dalvin Cook, and um, I, I was I was hoping that we would we would draft him the year he got drafted. But uh, I've always been a big fan of uh, Florida State players, and um, I would love to see us uh, try again with uh, that, since we've obviously drafted very well there, and only three picks. Yeah, for sure. You know, and there's obviously a lot of schools that we haven't that we haven't drafted from. You know, because we've only been a team for you know not, not that long compared to a lot of other teams, and you know, this year we kind of checked the, that uh, that box off, you know, with drafting from LSU. And, you know, so there's a lot of big, you know, big-name schools that I'm sure in these next couple drafts will kind of check that box off as well and, you know, get some notable names from those schools as well. But we are going to move on to a very interesting topic that has kind of come up over this last week. And it's kind of in the title of this uh, podcast show, so... You know, Justin, what do you think about the potential of the Ravens trading for Jamal Adams? Um, um, this is a very loaded question, and I'm going to have a very loaded response. <laughs> um, with uh, Jamal Adams, he's been one of my favorite non-Ravens um, ever since he got drafted into the league. I've loved his swagger. I love the way he plays the game, very physical. And uh, I've always thought he was born to be a Raven. Um, just the way he plays, his play style. Um, and that's probably why I'm a big fan of him. But um, recently he's had some uh, issues with uh, the Jets front office and uh, Joe Douglas, who was at, he actually uh, formerly worked with the Ravens. So there's obviously a connection between DaCosta and Douglas there, which I think definitely helps that chance. Um I think with uh with with Adams though is that um he's not really in a position to be making much demand. He's trying to set a new precedent by um trying to make big big money early in his rookie deal. He's, rookie deal, I'm sorry. Um he's only played 3 years. Um mind you, those 3 years have been really well and he cemented himself as a top safety in the league in my opinion. So I think that's definitely, um, you know, you don't take that for granted, but I think you also got to think about, like, you know, giving guys big contracts, even though they're, they've only played three years. Um, it's that no team has really ever done that before, and I think uh, whatever team trades for that, which could be the Ravens because they're setting precedents every day, but um, they've, they've got to be willing to um, take that risk, um, especially with uh, Jamal Adams um, still only having three years. But in those three years, um, I think you've you've kind of got to look at, like, how good he's been in those three years and um, why he's warranting, why he's, why he's trying to advocate for himself that he deserves top money. And I think because, you know, we say 
safety Jamal Adams, strong safety Jamal Adams. Well, um, a couple of years ago, or a year ago, um, I was a big advocate for Le'Veon Bell in free agency. And the reason why I wanted Le'Veon Bell really badly was because if you pay Le'Veon Bell, you're not just paying him for you for him to just rush the ball. You're paying for him for his amazing blocking ability, and you're paying him for his amazing um, receiving ability. You're paying him because he's an offensive weapon. You're not paying him just because he's a running back. I think you can apply the same kind of concept to Jamal Adams. I think you're not paying him just to be a safety. I think you're paying him to play defense, kind of like how Isaiah Simmons is one of the uh, most versatile players already in the NFL because of how many positions he's played on defense at Clemson. I think you can kind of apply that to uh, Jamal Adams um, because he's so versatile. I mean, as a safety this past year, he had six and a half sacks. I mean, as a as a safety, um, there are defensive tackles that don't even get six and a half sacks. So when you're able to get that as a defensive back, and that just pretty much proves straight up that you're that versatile. So what I think Adams is trying to argue for himself is that you're not paying him just to be a safety. You're paying him to be a... Uh, uh, a defensive player, and that brings me to the Ravens, which love versatility. Um, they, I've read reports that they've loved Jamal Adams in the draft. Last year, they tried trading for him at the trade deadline, could revisit uh, later on, and it looks like this is the time to do it if they were. Um, but with with uh, DaCosta, though, you don't, you don't really know uh, what he's doing because he's a, he's a very unpredictable general manager. But um, if I if I had to predict, I think DaCosta's on the phone uh, night and day with uh, Joe Douglas trying to get a deal done because he knows just how versatile and how great Jamal Adams can be for this Ravens defense. And our Super Bowl window is now, and we've got to take advantage of that with uh, Lamar Jackson on his rookie deal. Yeah, and I I can't emphasize enough what you just said. You know, this this is our window now, and you know I really feel like right now, if if we were to make a trade for Jamal Adams, then that would kind of I that would put us over the top, and that that would really I feel like cement us as the team to beat if we're not there already. And I think it would also kind of send a message to not only Ravens fans but kind of to the league that this you know. Eric Dacosta is going all in if he does make this trade, you know, because most likely we're going to have to give up a first round pick plus another decently high pick and, and maybe even a, a player as that as well. Um, so, you know, there's definitely a lot of risk in this involving our, our future as well, because, you know, not only the high picks, but we have a lot of guys we got to pay in these upcoming years and, you know, and just adding Jamal Adams to that mix, you, you know, how, how much harder does that become then? You know, obviously these next two years, he's kind of, he's sitting on a two-year $13.5 million contract if you combine the last two years of his of his rookie deal. Um, you know, but coming into this next year, he has a base salary of just a little bit over 800 k so you're not getting him for a whole lot of money. Um, his roster bonus is almost $3 million, but he does have a cap hit of over $7 million. So, while we we still have the cap to do it because I want to say we're sitting around 10 million right now, still have the cap to do it, but you know it's a decent chunk and you know his fifth year option is still available for next season. I don't believe the Jets have picked it up. Um, not entirely sure on that, but I don't believe it's been picked up. 
Now, in, you know, one of the biggest concerns, like I had already mentioned for me with Jamal Adams, it's just it's, it's the money, you know, the salary cap. You know, he, he wants to become the highest paid safety in the league, and that's looking at over over at least $15 million. He, he'll, he'll probably command in the 17.5 to 18 range, and the highest paid safety right now is Eddie Jackson at 14.6. Now, you, you know, you look at the highest paid DB, in Darius Slay at almost $17 million a year, and he's 18th in the league average yearly salary. So, you know, I, I just feel like DBs and safeties, they're just – they're not valued as high as some other, you know, positions in this league. You know, it's kind of it's kind of along the lines of I almost feel like the running back. You know, like the running back is in the position that pay huge bucks to. And now – you know, with Marcus Peters, he he was a very manageable contract. But now, you know, we also have Marlon Humphrey potentially coming up that would command, you know, a lot of money. So, you know, while we we would have the best secondary in the league if we don't already, that's a lot of money in the secondary. You know, with Earl Thomas, Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, Jamal Adams, and Chuck Clark as well. His contract isn't too bad, but just throw even more money in there. So. You know, while I, I do believe that Jamal Adams is the best safety in the league and, like you said, is a Swiss Army knife and he would bring so much to this team, you, you know, there there is a lot of risk to this. So, you know, as a fan, you, you kind of have to step back a little bit and not use, you know, so much of your bias to wanting to get this, you know, charismatic, amazing player and add him to this team because, you know, like I said, then then I then I guess what happens? You know, where do what happens with the positions? You know, like where where does Earl and Chuck fit? You know, where does Deshaun fit? Where does you know where do you throw Jamal Adams into this mix? So you know, there's a lot of questions with Jamal Adams, and I, I definitely believe that the player you're getting is worth it. So you know, out of that long spiel, I I definitely believe that Jamal Adams would be worth it. I mean, you just look at his career stats, and he has over 270 tackles. You know, he's 12 sacks and has a safety, like you said. That's just – that's incredible. I mean, you know, like you said, defensive tackles don't see those numbers in a year. Like, you know, it's it's just crazy. But, you know, I, I definitely believe there's risks. But sometimes, you know, if if you really want to win a Super Bowl, you got to take those risks and kind of hurt your future a little bit to kind of almost cement yourself as that, you know, leading candidate for that that big Lombardi trophy. So I, w- I would say it's worth it. Yeah. And um, to your point about, you know, the risks involved, I think um, you kind of look at what con- what kind of consequences could happen if these risks don't pay off. I think you look at the Rams. They've spent a lot of money at big-time talent, and they've kind of locked themselves in. They've dug themselves a hole they can't get out of because they've given so much guaranteed money to these players that just aren't good anymore, and now they don't have the cap space to get more talent in. So you've got to be careful with how you approach uh, signing so many big-name players with big-time contracts. So, yeah, there's, uh, there's definitely that risk involved of, you know, you don't want to turn into the Rams because I they don't have they haven't had a first round pick ever since golf I don't think so that's that's kind of scary to think about I mean obviously the cost is probably smarter than that but I think you could get into a situation like the Rams if you aren't careful with how uh, you you approach this Jamal Adams situation and 
uh, with the trade, um, not only are you kind of locking away that salary cap, designating it for Jamal Adams, but you're also giving away picks that you could use to replace some of these um, homegrown players like, say, for example, if Marlon Humphrey were to leave, we don't have a first-round pick to replace him then because we traded it away to the Jets. So I think you also kind of have to think about that as well. Like, you're training for Jamal Adams, but you you better make sure that you have enough cap space for these uh, elite homegrown talent like Ronnie Stanley and Marlon Humphrey, um, or else you're just going to let talent walk out the door and uh, not be able to draft any replacements unless you're sure you can hit in the later rounds, which the Ravens have been able to hit in later rounds, but I wouldn't bet on a fifth-round pick replacing Ryan Humphrey. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I like what you said with the point of not wanting to become the Rams. You know, I, I, I think – I think, like I said a couple minutes ago, one of the major mistakes that the Rams made was paying Todd Gurley all that money. You know, yeah. typically running backs just don't get paid the big bucks. And, you know, it's just like I, I feel like that's exactly why, you know, a player that you were talking about earlier, why we didn't sign him was, you know, was why we didn't sign Le'Veon Bell. And we went with the the better contract with Mark Ingram, you know, because, like, that's – and this is just kind of where you fall in the traps of paying big bucks for positions that, you know, aren't valued as much as others, you know, like the high value positions of, you know, quarterbacks, left tackles, you know, like guys that are a bit tougher to replace than, you know, kind of like, like we just went over a running back or a DB. So, you know, while so much of me wants us to trade for Jamal in, I, I still believe it can happen because I, I want to say currently we are the leading team in betting odds. I know it doesn't mean much, but Vegas can occasionally be right. Um, you know, there, there's just, there's a lot to process with the, with this, you know, cause he's, he's got two years left. And like you said, if, if one of, you know, Marlon Humphrey or one of our main guys leaves, well then we don't have that first round pick to, you know, to go back and stock up at that spot. And you can't bank every year on hitting in rounds two through, you know, four. Like we had a couple years, you know, where we we couldn't hit one of those. We couldn't hit a second-round pick to save our lives. So, you know, that's definitely not something that you can bank on. And I I think if if we were to trade for Jamal Adams, I, I would imagine that there would have to be some kind of extension talk in place already. Um and you know, like I said, like those, like those kind of, like that extension talk. I mean, could be like, you know, eighteen million over, you know, five years. So I, I mean, that's that's just insane, you know. And and I, I don't yeah. see us paying Jamal that, and that's exactly what he wants. So you know, I guess if if we were to trade for Jamal, it would, it would mean that I think Marlon Humphrey wouldn't come, wouldn't be back. Um, you know, that's just too much money in the secondary. And then, you know, it also kind of begs the question, what happens with Earl Thomas? You know, do we trade Earl Thomas then? You know, do we do we trade Chuck Clark then? I mean, I, I, I don't – I out of the two, I'd much rather keep Chuck Clark, in my opinion. But, you know, it, it just raises a lot of questions, you know, on money, position, the fit, you know, the draft capital, you know, restocking the players that we lose. So – I mean, I really like where we're at as a team. And, you know, I, I think last year was 
kind of a you know a tale of things to come. Not the playoffs, of course, but what happened in the regular season. So, you, you know, whatever happens, I'm I'm definitely okay with because we're a great team right now. Jamal Adams definitely put us over the edge, but. I like Earl Thomas and Chuck Clark at our safety spot. So either way, I'm definitely excited for this season. Can't wait to see what we can do. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I definitely agree with everything you said there. And uh, speaking of Earl Thomas, uh, let's head into some of the questions from uh, our followers that I, I put on my story a, a couple of days ago. Um, this one's about Earl Thomas. It's a, uh, what is Earl Thomas's future in Baltimore? Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I really think it kind of depends on what happens with um, with Jamal Adams. I, I mean, you know, there was a lot of speculation to, you know, kind of when his whole scandal came out with his wife, you know, people were, were kind of screaming, you know, release him, release him, which was interesting to me, but we won't get into that. But, you know, I know the Ravens were, were potentially looking at um, um, voiding his con- his guarantees in his contract. And, um you know that that was a pretty interesting situation because then we could have you know really released him with no dead cap. So I, I think that is off the table. And you know I, I'm definitely more of a fan of Earl Thomas than the normal fan is. You know I, I think he got a pretty bad rap last year after after the Browns game where he you know kind of held up against Chubb and then he made the comments before. Um, you know, before the Titans game and just, you know, didn't really back him up. But I'm I'm definitely a bigger fan of Earl Thomas than the normal fan. So I, I honestly think that he's going to ride out his contract here and, and will stick with us for the rest of that. Yeah, yeah, I agree with um, sticking out with um, his contract. Um, because, I mean, he's not as bad as people think he is. I mean, they they kind of just point to that, you know, stiff arm, um in uh in the Titans game. Um but I think if you look beyond that, I mean, he's definitely one of the best coverage safeties in the uh in the league last season. So um I don't think, you know, we can I don't think we can willingly like just throw that away like it's nothing. Like he's definitely done a lot for this team. And now he's got a full a couple off seasons under his belt now, this one included, um, with learning the Ravens playbook, which is notoriously uh complex. Um yeah, and um, how about uh, we'll do the second and final question. Uh, uh, what do you think is more intimidating? Which team, uh, the Steelers or the Browns this year? This one is a very interesting question to me, you know, because I feel like these last couple of years, Browns fans especially have, you know, cried that they're, you know, the most talented team in the AFC North. You know, they have all this talent. They're, they're bound to break out, and it just hasn't happened. Um and, you know, as much as I want to say that that's Baker Mayfield, I honestly think it's it was coaching. Um, so, you know, I think their hire of the, the Vikings OC this offseason was a very good hire. I think they made some great moves, especially on the offensive line. And, um, you know, at the tight end position, signing uh, Austin Hooper as well. So, you know, I really liked what the Browns did this offseason, but – the Steelers also have Ben Roethlisberger coming back. You know, I'm I'm honestly not as big on Ben Roethlisberger coming back from a major arm surgery at a very old age for the NFL as the typical fan is. But, you know, you, you still have to be scared of him. You know, he's still 
he still will be one of you know probably a top ten quarterback this year. I, I I'd say that um, they have an amazing defense. You know probably competing for the number one defense in the league. But you know the Steelers don't really have I feel like that running game. You know they they lost that last year obviously with Ben being out. I'm sure that's a factor, but. I just I as much as James Conner is an amazing person, you know, he's overcome so much. I just don't see him being that piece that takes their running game over the edge. So you know, with this question, I, I am gonna say that I honestly think the Browns are a bit more intimidating. You know, that like I said, they made a lot of good moves this off season. I think Odo Beckham and Jarvis Landry will kind of get back in their groove almost this year. You know, Chick, Nick Chubb is a top. I'm going to say top three running back in this league. I'm a huge fan of Chubb. And they even bolstered that offensive line even more, made some great coaching hires. So while I don't really think they're a a threat to take us in the, in the division, I, I do believe that we could end up losing a game to them this year. So I, I'm going to say that the Cleveland Browns are actually a bit of a scary team this year. Yeah, and um... – I'll agree with that. I'll say the Browns are uh, scarier um, only because Freddie Kitchens was uh, a terrible um, hire from the start. I thought that Greg Williams did more for that team uh, than Kitchens did. And But um, for uh, Baker Mayfield, that's that, he, I, I think he's a better quarterback than uh, his coaching uh, let him be. Um, so with Kevin Stefanski, he's, uh, he, he was offensive coordinator of the Vikings and uh, you know, he got to work with Kirk Cousins. Um, you can't deny that Kirk Cousins, he's he's still one of the top quarterbacks in the league. And he got to work with uh, Diggs and Thielen, which they're both, they're two both uh, really good receivers. Now he's entering kind of the same situation in Cleveland where you've got two really good receivers on the same team, and he was able to utilize both of them. Um, so that's definitely a big thing. I don't know if Stefanski can, you know, be successful as a head coach, but you say that about any new head coaching hire. Um, so that's definitely something to factor into. Big Ben, uh, he's coming back from, like you said, a really, really uh, serious injury in the arm, um, which is kind of like all a quarterback really needs is uh, their arm. And, um, you know, and even as tough as Ben is, I don't think he can really uh, come back back into uh, how he was a few years ago, um, especially because he's lost Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster kind of took uh, a down year. And like you said, that running running back group isn't really the best. James Conner is solid. He's not anything special, but he's a special human being. I'll give him that. Um, the Steelers had a all right draft. Um, I thought the Browns had a really good draft uh, in comparison. So I'll take the Browns. Alrighty. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. But uh, that'll end the show for this week. So I just want to say thank you, you guys, for tuning in to this week's episode of Inside the Flock, brought to you by the Right Way Sports Network. We hope to see you guys next week at the same time and same place. And don't forget, if you guys would like to listen to any of our podcasts, we're also on Anchor, which will direct you to all of our podcasts. That link will be in our bio. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you for taking the time to listen in to our podcast produced by the Right Way Sports Network. Subscribe to our channel for more awesome content and follow us on social media on Instagram at TWSNet. 
on Twitter at TWSNet and on Facebook at The Right Way Sports Network. And remember, there's only one way to get your sports news and updates, and that is The Right Way.